Hello everyone, this is the Dot Matrix. Uh, I am Justin. And I'm Sean. Uh, we were like practicing with the sound test, just leaning back and now as soon as it starts we're like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there it goes. There no, it goes. That's, that's okay, though. Louder the better. So a little delayed, you know, best laid plans of mice and men, as they say. We ended up canceling one scheduled podcast, and today we were supposed to do tennis, and the weather didn't quite cooperate on us, but we're still here. We got the podcast in. We're getting the podcast in. It's only mid-afternoon on a Sunday uh, on our friend Kevin's birthday, so happy birthday, Kevin, if yep. you hear this like a month later. Happy birthday, Kevin. <laughs> We will try and get this up before your next birthday, or maybe by July 9th, but yes, uh, before your birthday month is over. And huge changes since our last podcast, it sounds like we are you looking at the, uh, I always forget when the last time we, we did it, uh, whenever we record a new one, and, and it said April sometime, I guess was the date on our file, and uh, yeah. so since April... Like yeah. we're, we're podcasting in a brand new space because you've moved. Yeah. And uh, we've gone from a majority BC Liberal government to a majority BC Liberal <laughs> government, um, which, although not changed, uh, is a huge surprise. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to get into some of that. Uh, not so much the election debrief, which we would have done if we had actually recorded our podcast when we wanted to. Uh, this is a bit later than that now. But uh, probably getting into some stuff, I would assume, about the announced cabinet or the uh fact that uh, christy clark lost her seat and will have to run in Kelowna of all places uh. <laughs> and you know other things like that so it's a lot of changes going on and, and we we're both getting much fitter ready for tough mutter which is happening in a couple of weeks so we've got lots of things to talk about well it's funny you mentioned about by-elections because yes what uh, is it's not obviously like a regular election like do they campaign for a couple of weeks or how how long do they how long does that process usually take do you know well they say at least you know when i when i read the articles about it um that it's going to happen in july sometime july. Okay. so i guess there's the i mean i actually didn't see the news reports until uh yesterday i didn't even hear that she had announced where she was going to run until after i read the article about the new cabinet and they said oh yeah and she announced earlier this week that she was going to run in west side Kelowna, mm -hmm. um and which was surprising i just assumed she would run somewhere in the lower mainland you know so um a bit of a surprise but but i guess that person will you know has resigned his or her seat well the quailsgate and... guy he's oh. a quailsgate winery owner Oh, is that who? Oh, I don't remember his name, but yeah. Okay. So she had the press conference from his winery. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <All> smiles. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean that that writing is 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 terribly staunch, not terribly in a bad sense, but just it is a very firm, you know, BC liberal writing, which is yeah. what you wanted, but uh, and in a you know some of the uh, social credit premiers of the day, you know, W.C. Bennett and Bill Bennett came from that particular riding. So that riding has had premiers represent them before. And I actually don't know that history in terms of whether or not they live there or they're from the area. But I, I do feel bad for the riding in that, like, one, you're going to have the premiers your MLA, which means you don't... I mean, yes, you get stuff to happen because you're the, it's your premier's 
writing, but at the same time, the premier is doing other things. They're not worried about their constituency as much, and especially uh, an MLA who doesn't. I mean, I'm assuming she doesn't has no ties to the area, although she'll probably have to buy a property and really. And I would assume at some point you have to have, to have some presence there, right? Holy but like, given that her, I think her family is based in the Lower Mainland, and you know, when she ran originally as an MLA years ago, she was in Coquitlam, and then when she got into in uh, in Vancouver Point Grey, which is, you know, as you know, my riding. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think she ended up living in the area eventually, I think. But even if not, like, it's not horrible. I mean, it's horrible, but it's not offensively horrible to live in Coquitlam and represent the riding in Vancouver. You know, right. if she was still in in, in the Tri-Cities, I have no idea. I don't, I don't stalk Christy Clark. I have no idea where she actually lives. Although, well, given that she's in my riding, I would expect she lives in my riding. But uh, but imagine like like I don't know being the premier and then also having your life based in the Lower Mainland but representing a riding in the Okanagan is going to be really challenging like yeah. really challenging. Well, doesn't she have to spend time there a bit? Yeah, I would think so. Well, I guess she could. They, I mean, you know, legislature is out, so I guess you know she could probably do that. Go up to wine country and. But imagine how much you, I mean just to get familiar with any riding, you have to know the issues. And it's going to at least take a year for her to understand what is actually important to people of West Side Kelowna. But if you live there, you would hope you have a better sense of it. But yeah, who knows? It's going to be interesting. I'm sure it'll be one of these things where she's in reality just partnering with this Quarrelsgate guy. I'm sure they have something set up where, you know, he'll be on the ground. Because, you know, they'll spend most of the political season in Victoria, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, maybe this guy will have a big role in the constituency office somehow. I think so. But it doesn't mean I know much about how these, you know, inner workings of politics <laughs> work, but... No, it's true. I, I just thought it was kind of interesting, like like yourself, that she was going up to Kelowna, but I, I think you can't... There's two, two ways of looking at it. It's like you can't... You can't make the same mistake again. You cannot afford to have her not win that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'd be horrifying. But at the same time, for the NDP, they can't either be, like, try, 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 try so hard, like, aggressively as they say they're going to be, and then lose it again. Right. You know, it almost looks better if they respectfully let her take the seat in a way. Right. But, I don't know, we'll we'll see what happens there, so we'll be monitoring that one, as they say in the news. Be <laughs> monitoring this story. It's like, no, you won't be. No, you won't. Uh... But yes, uh, we just moved, so we are in Mount uh, Mount Pleasant. What a wonderful neighborhood! Yeah, as we were remarking, as we just took our dog Dexter for a walk, um, it we moved from Commercial Drive, uh, which was great for us for the six and a half years that we were there. Six and a half years! Wow, it's crazy. But it's like kind of like coming back because we used to be at Maine and King Edward, which obviously is you know twenty blocks south of us but for those of us for those of you listening in abu dhabi i'm sure it's <laughs> obvious but i'm sure we have a lot of people who listen to us who don't even know who the hell we are you know it's like still kind of being in lower manhattan it's the same thing just different part of lower manhattan <laughs> so that's yeah we're loving it um gonna have some people over in a week Woohoo! my chair is in the living room yeah we got justin's chair is one of the first things we did we thought, well... I feel honored. We have spot for an, another chair to go with our little couch, so we thought, 
What would Justin want to see? <laughs> that was, you know, we were looking at price, we're looking at style, aesthetic. And what would Justin sit in? <laughs> so I think we found something good. It's firm, but it's comfy. You can get his feet up. It's, uh, well, it's we good. were just watching the French Open men's final, and I was taking it on my first official watching assignment in the chair, and it held up nicely. It's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Lane's running 37 kilometers up in Squamish. When is the Squamish 50? It's in August. August. Wow. So, yeah, she's getting out there all the time. See, I can't imagine, like, I mean, Tough Mudder is in itself a gru going to be a grueling thing. And I can't imagine trying to do two grueling things in the same season. You know, like, it's phenomenal. <laughs> It's a, a superhero attempting here. Yes. <laughs> no, she's uh, she's strong. She's gonna do well. I think um, this, you know, I think after this, Mudder will be like, you know, aside from a few obstacles, will probably be a breeze for her. But um, oh yeah, she'll be done and will have oh yeah had her lunch by the time <laughs> I cross the finish line. <laughs> You'll do great too, Justin, not to worry. <gasps> well, I'll do well. I think it'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be definitely a challenge. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I know we all are. Um, so that's in a week. No. A week? No, two weeks. Two weeks. Sorry. <laughs> two, two weekends from now. Big Whistler, Tough Mudder adventure. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Uh, I still can't believe, I still think back to when this first came up on Canada Day. Like, it's it's literally been, it's going to be a whole year. Yeah. yeah. We better meet up on Canada Day and go to that Salmon Festival parade. And, <laughs> and, you know, basically point our fingers at Steve and Mike and, you losers, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't commit. <laughs> yeah, I know Steve wanted to, um... Yeah, it's 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 a total preference thing or schedule thing. You, know, you got to commit a couple of days to it, right? Yeah, it's tough. It it is tough, but that's why they call it the tough mutter. <laughs> it's tough to schedule. It's tough to be like, okay, leading up to it, I'm going to be doing some crazy shit, and you know, getting our stamina up, getting our running up, you know, getting right. overall physique going. It's good. You're doing good. You're doing some abs and <laughs> yeah. you're going to get your six pack. Right. You know yes. There's, there's huge ab obstacles, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's funny. I keep thinking about like less about, you know, we were talking before the podcast about all the different uh, uh, logistical things you worry about when you think about this Whistler, this weekend up in Whistler. And the one that keeps coming to my mind that we didn't talk about uh, before the podcast was... Like, what happened? I mean, at the end, I guess, you cross the finish line, if you're lucky to do so, and <clears throat> you're covered in mud. I guess you've had to driven to the course from where you are in Whistler. It seems like there's a bit of a distance. Right. Like, um, and our, your friend Stacy was sort of saying when we did that training and I almost died, that, you know, it was uh, important to have a change of clothes or, or something, right? Like, I just keep thinking, does someone hose you down at some point and just, like, just... Just hose you down with a powerful hose so the mud just, just starts to come off at least because I figure 
do I have to bring garbage bags and line my car with garbage bags so that I can at least get back to the hotel in Whistler without messing up my car? Like, those little things come to mind. And then about, like, the electrocution and the barbed wire and, right. and the slippery half pipe and all that stuff. <laughs> I'm probably not thinking about the right things. No, I know. It's, uh, it's, it's gonna be, like, wow. We just gotta, like, face it full-on, accept our fate, <laughs> and get through it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it be, could be pretty cool. I think uh, we'll get a big high from it. Excuse me. We'll just get a big high from it, uh, come out of there knowing it's like, wow, what is, this is what we did. Like, we actually got through this thing we've been talking about for a year. I wish I could have started training a year ago. <laughs> but oh well, you know. <laughs> it's hard though, you know, you think, oh, it's a year away, we have all this time to train, and it's just like, boom, it just sneaks up on you, right? And now it's like two weeks away, it's like, you gotta be mentally ready, physically ready enough. You know, a lot of it's gonna be adrenaline. Oh, for sure. You know, and that's the thing that's hard to underestimate, right? It's like right. when we do the sun run or whatever. It's like, I get a huge adrenaline rush with the sun run. There's so many people. Right. Yeah, I haven't done it in a long time, but there's so many. It's just such an energy vibe. That it just get, it just pushes you. Right. And this will be similar, if not more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what else do you want to talk about? We've talked about Duff Mudder. We've talked about your move. We've talked about Chrissy Clark's by-election. Do you want to talk Senate expenses? Do you want to talk... There's a lot of crazy stuff happening. You know what I want to talk about? I want to talk okay. about the Prime Minister's jet. Oh, I... You know, I... <laughs> I, I saw a headline, and I didn't quite read... I didn't read the story, so I don't even know what, what has happened. Well, they spent, like, $50,000 adding... Like, just doing a new paint job to the, the government jet or whatever. Okay is fine but you know if it needs a paint job okay but they went from red and white to red and white and blue and it's 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 and at first i was like oh, okay you know they made the plain blue like the conservative colors right but then uh you know thomas mulcair brought it up ndp leader and he's like you know this is this is really bad like the way they're branding the it's the country's Right. Identity that they are making the conservative colors. Right. And that, I think that's kind of, that's kind of bad. Right. Like, could you imagine Mulcair, prime minister, and all of a sudden the plane is orange? <laughs> like, that would be so blatant and obvious, right? Right. But blue, it's like, well, it's a little bit of blue. Like, what's the big deal? But I think it kind of is a big deal. Like, it's like, uh, all of a sudden putting, you know, a little C on the money or, or Harper letterhead, you know, on government paper or whatever, you know, right. like, which they kind of got in trouble for doing or something. Right. Like and well, I read the, are the talking points, no, it's not the government of Canada, but Harper's government or something. That's right. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm, yes, people can refer to that in shorthand, but really that's the official way you want to recognize the government of Canada weird it's weird and i think it's offensive so when i saw the i saw this really 
good photo of the plane. I was like, wow, just the whole underbelly's blue and just. But it also makes you think of the states, right? Right, right, like, blue, blue. Yeah. It's kind of weird. So, I don't know. But it's interesting though when, when you were saying that. One thing I was thinking, like you know, good. <laughs> I mean, it just so happens the liberal liberal party colors is red and white, I guess. Right. And that just so happens to be the Canadian colors too. Yeah. And you know, you think about the plane if it was painted red and white. It could have been for the liberal, you know, when the liberals were, were in government. It just happened just to also be the Canadian colors, right? So right. Um, you wonder what kind of motivation there was or wasn't at that time. Uh, or just how lucky it is that a political party has their colors the same as the nation, which I think, you know, it's kind of unfair. <laughs> I think if the liberals should probably change their color or should be forced to change their color for just equality of the political system to be purple or just i don't know some uh, yellow or something like just something that isn't red and white because that should be the neutral color of the country right us in japan it should just be red white well i guess russia but they oh. have they have a bit of well it depends i mean well no actually not well their flag has some red but it's more it's not the same as it was with the ussr but right. i would say r russian and red is a Synonymous with each other, I would say. China too, I guess. Red, but the red-white combo, yeah, it's pretty much Canada and Japan. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Right. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's. I just I thought, I thought that was a bit weird at first. It's one of those things where you think, oh, it's whatever. But then after a while, you're kind of like, well, wait a second, like, because you know it's going to go to a bunch of different countries. So I just I just thought that was a little bit so exactly something that Harper's government would do, you know. Um, <laughs> But let's talk about uh, this Senate thing. Okay. So, because the NDP put out a motion to actually abolish it, do you think that's appropriate? Don't they have a? Uh, they have a purpose, right? Don't they do second readings of bills and stuff? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think about like. You, you could adjust the Senate and make it elected like they do in the States, uh, you know, and, <clears throat> and, but that also has its own problems to it, right? Yeah. I, I, the concept of a sober second thought, a chamber that is there for the sober second thought, right? The legislation typically comes from the House of Commons and then senators have a, have a review of it to do that sober second thought, makes adjustments, makes suggestions, and it goes back to the House of Commons is, you know, in a very simple way, from what I understand, is the is the way the our parliamentary democracy works for legislation. Right. Um, in the states, legislation can come from either side, and then they usually have to compromise and try to make it work. Um, so, and of course, you know, problematics on on both ways of thinking about how to do it. Um, so, I like the idea of of and of a second entity that doesn't have the same pressures as the first entity. Which is, you know, you have to always, you know, be accountable to the people. Of course, that's one thing you want generally to have. But, you know, like the election cycles do have unintended consequences to the legislation and pressures for individual MPs. Right. Um, so I do like another chamber that has different pressures about why people would vote a certain way or like something or not like something. Um, so I don't think having both sides elected in the same way makes sense. Mm. 
the other chamber needs to be come together for different reasons or, or different mechanisms to get that group together. Uh, I just don't know what, what that is. Because it seems that, you know, the whole public perception of the Senate, I mean, it's not just these recent scandals, but scandals from the past, like that guy who just never showed up, he was always in Mexico. Or, right. You know, um, just, and, and it's like Brazo, you know, beating his wife and then getting kicked out and, you know, all these things, like, all these people are getting in there and they're just making really bad choices, lack of judgment or whatever. And it just seems like, okay, well, you can be there until you're 75, right? Something like that, yeah. So it's just kind of a weird, outdated, it seems like a kind of like an archaic thing that's never really been modernized to any great extent. Right, well, I think lots about the parliamentary system generally hasn't been modernized. Which yeah. so on both sides of the house needs to get uh, of the aisle that needs or you know the house needs to get rectified I would say but yeah so I think that's what I think maybe the root of the issue is it's like well how can we make this chamber effective and get the right people in there um, not people who on their time off just do fundraising for certain parties and stuff you know and, right and charge it to the taxpayer for the, I mean it's like. It, I just don't I just don't understand how it's even serving its purpose if it, if that's happening at the same time. It just seems like just a gargantuan waste of money and time and resources. So, I mean, the the, the funny thing with the NDP though is that they've been going on about abolishing the Senate quite a bit over the years. And but whenever anyone asks, like I've watched them on that Western Block show, right? Whenever one asks them, well, should you abolish it? And they're like, well, there's always a bit of hesitation of outright get rid of it. Right. You know, they always have, well, maybe we can start electing people. You know, they start getting all these maybes. It's like, well, wait a second. You know, so it just seems like no one really knows what the answer is. So if their now official thing is to abolish it, then yeah, because I, I say go for it because under the current system, it's not being effective, it seems. Or it is, and there's a lot of hardworking senators that are just getting a bad rap because of these bad apples, right? Right. So we'll be uh, looking at that one because apparently, as you said this morning, Pamela Wallen's expenses won't even fully be figured out until later summer or something. And it, and you know, and it always and I you know said this to a lot of people. I just don't understand how two people and like who are journalists like Mike Duffy and Pamela Wallen former journalists could could fathom putting themselves in this situation yeah like you are a journalist you know your colleagues are hungry for legitimate stories especially stories that involve corruption or misuse of taxpayers and that's part of why the media is there to to make to keep people accountable and i and it's just clear from all the diff different disclosures from various communications with mike duffy that just letting it go to his head, you know, I want to be a junior minister with no portfolio. Right. I can do all this type of stuff. And get a car. Get a car, get a staff. And, and uh, you know, how can I, you know, best, you know, le leverage the party and do all these fundraisers and stuff like that. And, and, and frankly, I mean, I was never really a big fan of him journalistically anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because uh, our friend Derek was posting um, a thing about Elizabeth May back in a couple elections ago, right? Yeah. When she was running against Peter McKay. 
yeah. in in uh, in Nova Scotia, and uh, and how Mike Duffy, you know, interviewed and Mike Duffy Live, which is his show on CTV Newsnet back in the day, and uh, was speaking to Peter McKay and interviewed Elizabeth May in the same program, and really uh, that YouTube clip showed um, uh, Mike Duffy, you know, preloading the interview with with uh, Elizabeth May. Framing it as a, the introduction was framing her as a kook, like basically really scary, like confused, you know, out of touch candidate, and and Elizabeth May just just held him to account, like how could you even as a journalist introduce me like that? Like it was, it's incredibly offensive. Like your colleagues as journalists should should hold you to task for for really just trying to frame even just what should be a normally nonpartisan yes. conversation uh, and, and basically lie about what her position was at the time about certain, the issue that they were talking about. Um, and I, so I had to watch the clips. I, I, I remember that briefly, but I don't remember the content. So it was like, it was quite something. It was just, just awful. Like shocking. Shockingly bad. And so, you know, Mike Duffy, you know, whatever, like, and don't have a huge respect for his journalistic career. And so you, I guess, yes, if you, you know, want to throw away your, your whole legacy as a journalist in that respect, you know, if you don't have, you don't, if you don't feel you've got a legacy anyways and whatever, sure. Ask for the car and driver, but Pamela yeah. Wallen. Yeah. She has is so way different. more respect. And I'm like, what are you doing? She was like Canada AM, wasn't she? She was Canada AM for years. She co-hosted the National with, the Na- that's with, right. That's right. with Peter Mansbridge back when it was like nine o'clock, which is a bad mistake, anyways. Yeah. But like, uh, how, uh, how how like how did she suddenly get amnesia yeah. and realize? Wait a second, I have a, a a career, a lifetime of work that I gotta protect, and maybe I shouldn't call my childhood home in Saskatchewan my primary residence if I'm living in Toronto or Ottawa or something. Like, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe the extra tens of thousands of dollars a year that I save or can, you know, get in expense reimbursements is not worth flushing, basically shatting on my career, you know? Yes. Like, it just... It fact, and we've talked a little bit about this, yeah. about, like, you know, Adrian Clarkson as, oh. you know, Governor General... And yes, everyone can compl- complain about her lavish spending, yeah. but we know what the spending was. She wasn't hiding it. It was right. fully disclosed. That's right. And and she did it to do like, you know, maybe like to all the different trips she was doing and trying to reach out and, and, and cultural, do cultural stuff and doing the job of the governor general. I mean, she just did it with flair, but she did. She was doing her work. Yeah. And so I don't think anyone would tarnish say that her time as governor general tarnished her journalistic career before that. Right. It was just, it kind of like, she always had that sort of flair in her journalistic life and she carried it on in her role as governor general. And of course, you know, Mikhail Jean saw that and did a bit, did it very differently, probably a little bit much more subdued. Um, but, you know, but like, it's like, uh, that's okay if you're up front. This is who I am. I like a lavish lifestyle. I want to promote things lavishly and maybe, you know, order that much nicer programs for the governor general awards than, right. you know, than glossy, than the other person would have, you know, like, <laughs> like that all kind of fits within the, the frame of what your job is and what the discretion you have, because you've been chosen to do this. You, you're, you, you are given that license to, 
to make your choices based on what your perspective is, because the people have chosen you because you have that perspective. Right. Which is totally different than this. <laughs> I just don't yeah. get it. Well, like you said, like with Duffy, you can almost expect it because he's just such an ass. Like, he's just an ass. Like, yeah. the arrogance, you know, when they, they follow him, when this all started happening, they're following him while he walks to and from the car to work or whatever, and they're like, are you going to resign? He, I remember his answer was just, that was his answer. You know? And I was shocked because it's just a complete lack of respect for, like, who people who were his peers, right? His his colleagues, you know, they're doing exactly what he he used to do. i got to see that clip that you're talking about. We'll have to post that. Yeah, is, I'm bringing it down to, to post it. Because it, it, and it, you know, Elizabeth May, on the other hand, shouldn't, shouldn't have been so surprised because he's, he's, I mean, he's been rooting for the Conservatives since, like, at least since Mulroney. You know, and that's on record, you know, like, being, you know, right-wing kind of leaning. Right. Um, but, like, the panel Wallen thing was really shocking. I was even shocked when she became a senator for the Conservatives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, who saw that coming? Well, you know, and I think, you know, it's different in Canada and the U.S. I could say if Keith Olbermann, you know, right. uh, was, was named to President Obama's cabinet or had some sort of political post, that would make sense. Or if, you know, someone on Fox News got into George W. Bush, I'm sure a lot of people did, right? But whatever, like, you know, like, like the, the kind of partisan journalistic commentators, you know, um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a part of the culture in the States. And Canada's not that same way. Most of yeah. the people who are famous journalists, like Peter Managers, I would have no idea what political stripe he has. No. And I shouldn't know. And if you want to stay in that job, that's totally fine. And you should be that way. On the rare, like even Rex Murphy, who's, you know, who you know I don't necessarily am a huge fan of. Very opinionated. I just think he says stuff just to be shocking. I don't think he actually believes a lot of it. But then that's, who knows? What do I know? Uh, but, like, I mean, I guess some days you could say, well, what is he, left or right or whatever? And, and you know, you could debate, actually. You could actually debate that question. Not Keith Overman, you're pretty much, you know, where he is. You know yeah. where, you yeah. know, um, Bill O'Reilly is and that sort of stuff, right? And so it's just so, it is shocking here in Canada when a journalist somehow just leaves that world behind and suddenly is clear, oh, oh, it just makes you feel uncomfortable. And as well you should. I think that means journalism is done right in this country when you feel uncomfortable. Yes. Well, that's just it. Because we grew up watching Pamela Wallen. I guess. Yes. Not so much Duffy. That was a bit later. Yeah. But in the 90s, or whenever it was, the National, and especially on Canada AM, because my mom used to always have Canada AM on. Yeah. And I remember when Pamela Wallen left Canada AM. Like, that was kind of a big thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm like, when I found that she became a senator for the Conservatives, I was like, oh, she's one of those. In the sense of, in the uh hidden from the public is her true self like right no compassion like whenever i think conservative like real conservative i think anti-compassion i think you know out for themselves screw the little guy you know i just think all these things and that right. could be my own 
Right. I don't know. Well, it's the persona of the party. And if you think about it, like, yeah, I mean, I, if you see, every time you see Pamela Wallen, if the, a photo of her walking down a corner yeah. with those weird old person oh, glasses. I know. I know. Uh, if she was walking down, if you saw that same video of her walking down the hallway and she was walking to the studio, you would you would interpret that very differently, that photo. Absolutely. Oh, it's, it's a intellectual's glasses. It's yeah. someone who's really thinking about the issues carefully and looking at the nuances of things. But now you're Every walking, detail, yeah. yeah. But now, no, because you're walking down, she's walking, she's a senator from the Conservative Party of Canada. And you're like, oh, how does she look? Why does she look 25 years older? And why does she look... Kind of out of touch, <laughs> like hawkish. Yeah, like I think hawkish right away. That's actually a yeah. That's exactly it. And then exactly. every photo is she's sitting at some committee thing or whatever, and she's looking at people above her little glasses because she's <laughs> not reading at that moment. She's like she got the I'm in the zone. I'm looking at every nuance. I'm doing the good senator work, and it's like actually no, you're just spending a lot of senator money. You know. Well, I was shocked. Well, it's funny because when you think about this, it's funny our conversation is going away from specific Senate, but the transition from journalists to other things within politics. And I think about, you know, not Pamela Wall and Pamela Martin. You know, oh, another our, example. Our, our anchor, famous in British Columbia, yeah. oh. in our province, and now is working in the Premier's office in communications for the BC Liberal government. And it's funny, like, I found that to be shocking, but at the same time, I could swallow that pill a bit more, yeah. Because it's it's a behind the scenes role, although it's public role, it's communications. Like it's not a political portfolio, like being a minister of something is, or she didn't run for the party. Like she's just. It's sort of like going from like you know, when everyone who has a journalism degree wants to be a, a serious journalist for the most part, and then sometimes you go to the dark side when you do communications, right? Like you you're <laughs> you're a journalism for. Uh, you know, something, and then suddenly you're now the, the, the spokesperson for Nike Canada. That's that's going to the dark side. So it's kind of like that, I would say. Like, she's on the communications end. She's not drafting policy, but is there to help articulate whatever that policy has created that's come to her door, right? So I, for some reason, I, I think it's still, although shocking to sort or just... Uh, shock, you know, I think it's the word is shocking uh, to know that she's now given herself label, clearly label of what political stripe you have, which I would assume she must be anyone who makes that leap has no intention of making the leap back. I can't imagine anyone becoming uh, labeled for any political party to then go back to journalism in Canada. Uh-huh. I mean, journalism in the States, sure, maybe, they but like flip-flop all, all the time. Place. But yeah. in Canada, it's, I would say unless you just become a commentator, uh, in a panel, and you're clearly representing that party, uh, you couldn't go back to hardcore journalism, investigative reporting, you know, foreign correspondent kind of work. You just couldn't. I just don't see it here. And of course, any other example would have to be uh, Peter Kent, you know, going, oh. <laughs> which I think is actually the most horrifying of them all. It is. It really is. And you know, because I didn't, like, I was like, that guy looks familiar, but I couldn't place it. And I remember Derek, right away, our, our great friend Derek, posted another video at that time of, you know, early 80s when he was anchoring and was yeah. doing these investigative, like, specials about the environment. And, and, and in the 80s, like, way before Al Gore. Yeah. And now he's minister of destroying the environment. You know, it is... 
unbelievable. In my opinion, that's he's there to dis- help destroy the environment. You know? And it's it's funny because when you think about like your role as a journalist, it's it's slightly different than watching. Well, no, I think it's like every job, like every profession, like you have to have some personal drive to do what you do. Like if you oh, yeah. if you're uncovering a story about the horrors of industry on the environment, and you're it's the eighties, and you're unpacking, you're turning over a stone and another rock. I mean, what you see under that rock is influenced by what you believe as a human being. Like, yeah. if you see a rock and you open up the, you lift the rock up and it's like, you see a horrifying <laughs> thing or not, <laughs> determining what, what you think is horrifying is dependent on who you are and what your yeah. experience in life is. So if you look at the rock and you're like, oh, okay, well, there's industry shatting on, <laughs> on the environment and it's not horrifying to you, then you just close that rock and you move on, <laughs> okay. right? But if you are horrified, for whatever reason you're horrified, then you pursue the story more. Yeah. And that's what I would assume most journalists come with that sort of ethic. And now you think about, like, how can someone who follows that, unless they was just, it's my craft. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I actually don't think it's a problem at all, but I, my read of my audience is that they probably will be so shocking, so I will report it. I guess, you know, I don't know if you actually, if you work, if you work that logic out, that actually even, that's even more sophisticated where you're like, your personal thing might you want to hide, you might want to hide it, but then you don't for the greater good of journalism. Maybe sure, so maybe you could argue it that way. But, but anyways, I just think it's kind of weird. And then your moral compass change shifts so completely twenty five years later, or you know, more oh. thirty years later, and kind of go, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I guess people I do change, by. but well, and but that's the thing though. People do like look at us even. Yeah. I mean, you're harshly more pressing than anything I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's like, I don't consider myself a conservative, but at the same time, I'm way less left-leaning than I used to be. But that becomes from just age and being less maybe ideological and more of a realist at times. And, um, and maybe, you know, 800 different arts groups don't need hundreds of thousands a year. You know, like, you know, we've talked about that. It's like, you look at the list and you're just like, really? They were given that much money to do that? But, you know, you mentioned Rex Murphy. And, you know, I, you know I'm a fan. I love being around for when he's on the national. I, I like Rex Murphy because he'll, as far as I can tell, he seems to just call bullshit no matter who is shitting. You know what I mean? Right. It's NDP, liberals, conservatives. You know, I've heard people say that he's like a conservative-leaning guy. And it's like, well, anytime they do something messed up, he'll be the fir- one of the first to be like, this is crazy. Like, I saw his thing. I don't know if you saw his thing when he was talking about the whole Duffy thing. The Senate stuff. And he's probably talked about it a few times, but... Yeah, I've seen one, but maybe not the one you're talking about. Where he was just like, you know, inexplicably, Harper chose this guy to be in the Senate. And that was near the end of his thing. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that hits it right there. Like, they've had such a lack of judgment with picking certain people. And, you know, Wallen, knowing how, how much she's 
messed up and it's just like I think it's just you know when you're on top in your career or whatever you're doing I think it is such a fine line between having that integrity and just developing that sense of entitlement over the years and I think that's kind of what happened it's just like you know you're you've got the accolades the praise for your your journalistic integrity or whatever it is or just being able to anchor a show really well uh, helping people understand the issues and all of a sudden you just turn into this hawk and it's like it's like we never knew you you know that's that's the thing for me it's like duffy well he's just an ass and he was an ass on his show and every time i saw him he was always like what the fuck is this this guy doing this you know but now he's being that it's like this is me. but wallen surprised me but then the other guy i wanted to bring up that was five out was this Tori from Alberta that's become independent recently. Oh, yes, yeah. Over yes. this bullshit. Like, all the craziness. And all these, you know, Harper aides are saying that he should call a by-election. <laughs> and who said two words? David Emerson. <laughs> Someone said that in the story that I, I, I laughed, I howled, because they showed a little clip. Uh, from the House of Commons question period, I guess it was, and Rona Ambrose, who herself has huge issues about just credibility, yeah. uh, says, oh, yeah. you know, uh, he was elected, this MP, I forget his name now, was elected as a conservative, and now he should run, a, run in a by-election. And I forget, and then the same story in The National, someone said, I've got two words for you, David Emerson. And I can't, I can't remember who it was, it was him as the MP who said that. Or with someone else in defending him, I can't remember. But yeah, I, I laughed out loud. <laughs> do they have that short of memories? Or do they think the public is going to forget something so atrocious? Yeah. I mean, they were in power for about six minutes. You know, that day was the first day of being the government. And they fucked up that badly. Yeah. Like, that was... <laughs> but, you know, everyone had such a bad... Every, there's so many different people that had fault in that. Gordon Campbell, I thought, approving that had a, had a big problem. That I think that was a big credibility thing because he was like, "Well, he's it's good for BC because of the software. He's going to handle this software lumber thing, and he's really good at his job." It's like, again, beside the point. Yeah. <laughs> I can get it halfway through a term. I've gone two and a half years with this party and probably been in the party for way longer than that. I hate the way it's going. I It's not true to me. I'm not... And, and becoming independent, that's one thing. I can almost respect that because you're like, this is a, this has turned into a lie for me. I can't... Right. I can't um, justify this action anymore. He didn't go to the Liberals. He became an independent. Right. Doesn't mean he won't go somewhere else after, but he's not anybody right now. Right. I have more respect for that, as they should as well, than the Emerson thing. Because they were in power for like six minutes, and then all of a sudden this guy is all of a sudden a conservative. Unbelievable. Well, it's funny because like, I mean, you figure people should just take a breath and realize, okay, not, you don't have to be combative about everything. Right. You know? Right. And, and I agree with you completely. Like, I mean, David Emerson didn't sugarcoat it. He just, he literally said, I just like to be in power. 
Like he literally said that. I mean, not in so many words. He basically said, "I do. I can do better for my constituency in government than out of it." Which is basically saying, "I like to be where all the big boys are," or you know, quote unquote, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. And so just awful. Just just clearly uh, a breach of the public interest and public trust that you've you've labeled yourself a certain way, you've positioned yourself a certain way, and within two seconds you blink and the guys moved on to some to the other party that just happened to be the winners. I hate being a loser is basically what he said, right? And and like and to what, you know, this particular MP is is saying and going into the like everything you said. And if the Conservative Party could just breathe and the government could breathe for one second, losing that one MP doesn't lose your majority. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're in a clear majority for by a number of seats, right? Mm-hmm. That you should you should have just easily just taken the high road, say you know we don't agree, we think, and they did say that that we we think we're the most accountable government in a while, which is whether that's true or not, whatever you can still say that, I guess. Uh, and you just wish him well, like I, I, we respectfully disagree, and and you know if he doesn't agree with our point of view, then it's he's made the right choice to leave the party, because to say what you know that that then you should call for a by election, you open yourself up for all that other crap, and and you and you wonder whether people have lost their minds or lost their memory because, like, just let it go. Like, there's no you're not. I mean, I would fight that for a by election if you're worried about that vote. Yeah. And you want to buy elections, you make sure that vote is conservative. Yeah. But my sense is that's not a worry. So why? Why? <laughs> well, that's the thing. They're they're just, you know, they have their pit bulls in the party, but the whole party is kind of a pit bull. They just don't know how to react to anything in any different way, it seems. Especially Rona Ambrose. I mean, come on. Um, um <laughs> if you get, uh, I don't I I just don't even understand why women are conservatives. <laughs> Like, it sounds, that might be really sexist and limiting, limiting, but educated, so-called educated woman being in the conservative party itself, that that just doesn't make any sense to me. I think that speaks to the challenge and the problem with the, the term conservative, because it's, it's too big of a term is you could yeah, be too broad you could be socially conservative but you could also be fiscally conservative and you could be conservative whatever other ways right yeah and and and, and i think it's hard to be conservative across the board because i think yeah. most people would want people to spend their money wisely just across the board sure. it's a general sense that most people would say if you're government just spend it wisely on things that will make a difference and will that, that can't be done individually as individual citizens that we need a collective approach to and just use that wisely. I, I would say uh, some people would call that fiscally conservative. It's Which the socially fine. conservative stuff that is combined with that uh, that has to fall into the same banner for some reason in the way we have party politics. That is the problematic thing. You know, like, uh, I am nowhere socially conservative, but there's aspects of fiscal conservatism that, you know, just kind of make sense, right? Absolutely. And, and unfortunately, it's hard. Some people can swallow one or the other uh, because they believe one versus the other, but I don't think they're separate things. They are so intertwined, and I can't be okay with uh, limiting rights or limiting or protecting whatever on the social end of it 
because I will get my fiscal end. Like they're not, it's all part of the same part of living life and being in a community and being in a country. Um, so I, I, I just, they can't be separated. Well, I, I can expect most men to be like, I'm conservative, I'm going, I'm wrong way, clean these twigs. <laughs> yeah, I can spend. I can expect most men to just have these rash, like haste, kind of reactions to things like a Clint Eastwood. But when you got women in power, who I just naturally already think more sensibility, I think instinct, I think thinking first before speaking. I think like I think of all these things. And then I think of um, the leader of Alberta's government. Alison Redford? Alison Redford. And I think, I can't believe some of the things she says. And I, but then Christy Clark does the same thing. So it just goes to show, it's just people. And I shouldn't say it's women or men, but sometimes I just think, you know, things will be just thought of a little better. It's just like, when you think, when you say a statement like royalties for the British Columbia is just a non-starter. When you make a statement like that, I mean, what does that say about, like, you know, like, they always talk about Christy Clark being so divisive, like, dividing the country on this thing. It's like, well, no. It's actually Alberta and Ottawa are actually dividing the country on this whole oil thing. That's a whole other discussion that we seem to bring up. But. Well, you know, and I, I, I would say there are people, and then there's that can be divisive, and then there's just the political apparatus and the way it's structured can also be divisive, because I mean it was a surprise where I guess you know the province of British Columbia in the end was against the pipeline and they sort of said it after the election they could have said that before the election True. uh but they said it after but in the end that actually has no bearing on the decision because it's the federal government who approves that not like it's just a jurisdictional thing right so so you think about that you're like but you it know it's it affects the government's final decision though um, in the sense know, that if they push this through, they're going to have the wrath of the whole province. Like, do it, you know what I mean? It's like, do they want to play that game, right? Like, well, and then that is, that's it. That's the game. That's the political game. Is a game? Is it? Uh, is it a kind of thing that would that haunts, let's say, Trudeau and the Levis and the federal liberals with Alberta for decades because of the energy policy of the time? Right. Is this one of those moments? It, I don't know. I don't. I. I Do you don't. See the pipeline going in. I. I think it's going to happen. Hmm. Just because, uh, they'll do the review, and they the way they positioned it was like, oh, you know, BC has concerns, and it's part of the process. That's totally fine. And they'll they might get a few more things in terms of the environmental protections, like double hold contain tankers or all that sort of stuff that's in the news right like or the you know the the inspection of the pipeline will happen every 30 minutes instead of every hour right. or whatever like Ooh, you know little things like that it will just appease and then it'll be whatever um but it doesn't go to the core about whether or not you you fundamentally believe that this is the best thing to do or not and i think that conversation on the political level is over people want 
to export the oil and yeah. the bitumen and all that sort of stuff. People just want that to happen. So this is all, I think even the decision to say no is all political posturing for everyone's side. And everyone's sure. just doing this dance that's well choreographed that will come to the end, which is already generally agreed upon at that level, which is the pipeline will happen. You'll get a few more things. You'll save face as a, as the British Columbia government. I think it has less to do with the federal government as it does with the, with the Christy Clark's liberals. Now they have a majority. They can feel like they can show a little bit of weight and they can maybe win over potential voters on who voted for the NDP. They go, look, okay, they, they, they did, you know, come up with what I wanted them to do, which is be against the pipeline. Oh, well, it still went through, but they were against it. That's okay, you know? Right. Like, and that will serve them better. And then people will just forget about the, the federal role in it, potentially. Uh, or it could blow up in their face. Like, but my, think, my thinking, the way the wind's blowing, and again, being kind of politically numb to political sensitivity sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not a politician, right? So um, I would... My gut is I think that's what's going to happen. It's, it's, it's going to happen, and they'll get some political benefit from it. The provincial government will, uh, for, for standing firm, and then it'll just happen. Just life goes on. We have another pipeline. And then it will only happen, something will happen, will only happen if there's a leak 50 years from now, and then that's not Chris and Clark's fault. It's true. Right? So... Well, I, you know, I, the only reason I get concerned is obviously environmental. And I, like I posted on Facebook when they, the province officially turned it down, I wrote something like, well, let's face it, the real reason they turned it down is they're, they're, they're not getting any money out of this, like the money that they want. Right. You can say it's environmental. And I believe, I believe those reasons. I'm sure they got really ambiguous answers on a lot of the environmental questions. But at the end of the day, the only thing that makes things go round is money. And I think if they couldn't secure good, you know, at least in good faith that we'll get good royalties from this, because it's, it's our province is traveling through for the most part, right? With our waterways and uh, earth that's going to be affected and um you know if get some of that some of those tankers are going to be um cruising through um some of the most treacherous kind of weather on the planet um i uh i think it's i think it's uh out of this world that they're actually gonna try and do this but it wouldn't surprise me if it went through. I think they will have a tsunami of op opposition, though. I know there's been a lot of opposition so far, but I think that actually, like, they started building. I don't think we've really seen anything yet, personally. And I think that will be interesting. I think yeah. that will change the dynamic of this whole conversation yeah. if the public comes to bear in a very visible and what seems like a cross-sectional kind of way, uh, whether or not it's, you know, civil disobedience in whatever way that is, uh, that will change the story, if it happens that way. But if it positions itself as a, uh, a handful of people who are completely passionate, but, but, you know, yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs to a... Uh, a bulldozer or whatever. And the rest of the public is concerned about the Wimbledon final or something, you know, <laughs> like, uh, 
then that won't change the story. But if if it does get a groundswell, I think there's a possibility of that. But I think there's people are at the you know at the top levels of these decision making kind of things are just hedging their bets. And I, I don't have a good sense of it whether or not that will happen or not. That's interesting. I think if it if it will happen now is the time that it could happen because there is a lot more sensitivity and sensibility at least for Brit. I would say British Columbians generally want something want to protect their land. Yes. Um. So we'll see. All right. Well, that is definitely one story we're gonna monitor <laughs> for real. So I think we should wrap it from there. You think? Yeah, we've got a so. good list. I've written everything down, and uh, I can read it too. <laughs> But uh, hopefully we'll get another podcast. We were talking a little bit before offline on text, and we were saying that we we'll, that we wanted to take a little bit of a different approach in podcasts the next oh, little yes. while. Yes, uh, you know, talking or interviewing each other was, uh, um, because uh, as we we've been saying offline, I've, you know, I've become quite enamored with Alec Baldwin's "Here's the Thing" podcast. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I have to thank uh, Elaine for introducing me to it. This Likewise. Amazing! I just love his curiosity about people. Yeah, and you know, and I was thinking about this, like, and which is why I texted you. I'm like, you know, we have a little bio about each other on our website, and, you know, but we haven't really delved into who is Sean <laughs> and who, who is, is Justin. <laughs> and I think it's great. I mean, that's why we're friends for so many decades. I mean, yeah. not just the fact that we happen to, you know, be born in in and around the same geography and go to the same schools, like. At some point, you choose to continue to hang out with each other or not, you know? Uh, you could I could have come to your door. You could have not opened the door. You could have not answered my text. So, you know, I think we, at least we have an affinity for each other and each other's lives and each other's stories. And, of course, it's still young stories. We're not, like... We're not geezers. We're not, <laughs> yes. Geriatric. Um, and, I, I would, and, I, and I think it would be kind of interesting to sort of... And it's a nice little thing to have, you know, like, we can, well, it'll be a little legacy piece for each other, um, already, just in our early days. And then we'll interview other people. Yeah. No, I think that was a really good idea. Um, and, and like you said, like you said, you suggested, you start with me. Yeah. And then, uh, then I'll do you, and then, then we'll get other people in here. That's what she said. <laughs> I knew you were thinking about it. I was like, he's going to say it. <laughs> I think it'll be good. And we can go on location, too. Yeah, totally. Um, we can do this on the iPad. Oh, yeah. Just bring our mic. Be ready to go. So. Brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah, it will work fine. So Alrighty. we'll get this one up, and then we will set the next few up and go from there. Yeah, well, we'll do, a, we'll do one this summer. <laughs> <laughs> this is like our late spring... Once a season. Once a season. <laughs> okay, well, uh, you can find us on iTunes and as well the .matrix.com. And thanks for listening. For those of you out there who are listening right now. <laughs> awesome. See you next time. Yeah, bye-bye.